Wasn't it good? Um, I remember the day when I was taller than Zeke. That's, uh, I know. It was just last week, and then... You know, what Zeke experienced, that, that's our world today. Uh, the actual real problem that we're facing spiritual, spiritually is uh, isolation, is being alone. And in our day and age, I mean, we're around a ton of people, right? Yet we still feel alone. You can go to the mall and be around a thousand people, and it's just like you don't know anybody. No one knows you. And this is the real question. Why are we alone? Why do we feel this, this tension, this isolation? You know, you could be married and have a bunch of kids, yet you feel isolated. You feel like you're alone. How do we know this is happening? Because there's a whole industry right now. There's a life coach industry. It's like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't have any direction. I need to get myself a life coach. That will solve my problems. I need a mentor. I need somebody to mentor me. I need somebody to disciple me. Uh, I need somebody to guide me, to help me. And uh, there's an answer, and it's called the gospel. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, as Jesus uh, was hanging on the cross, as he was facing death, he, he uttered something. Actually, the Bible tells us that he yelled it, that he screamed it, that he shrieked it. Uh, actually, your interpretation's in the Bible a little weak. They don't really convey the passion that Jesus had when he was hanging on the cross. And let's talk about that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to start at verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said to him, He's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran up, got a sponge, filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now let's leave him alone and see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The whole earth shook, the rocks split, and the tomb and tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, and they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. While the centurion and those that were standing with him were guarding Jesus, they saw the earthquake and all that had happened. They were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there also, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to take care of his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, the mother of Zebedee's sons, and then Mark says that Joseph and Salome were with them. I want to look at 
L-O-I, L-O-I, Lama Shabachthani. And you're going to say, what's up with the, the secret magic words? Um, it's Aramaic. And both Matthew and Mark, when they were writing their Gospels, they were writing to a, to a Greek audience. Yet they kept the, the Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic. You guys saw the movie. That was Aramaic. Uh, so Jesus was speaking Aramaic. And the reason why it's kept in both of these Gospels that was written to the Greeks is that it meant something. It was an eyewitness account. People witnessed the actual words that were coming out of Jesus' mouth, and it was important to them. They remembered it. That's why they wrote it in Aramaic. And you ought to remember it too. If I was writing the Gospels, I wouldn't write it like this. My God, my God, why did you forsake me? I wouldn't say that about my Savior. Because it seems as if Jesus is he's, he's broken down, like he's given up. It's like they broke him is what it seems like, right? Don't, when you read that, it's like, man, that, just, that seems kind of weak that Jesus is like whining to God and he's giving up and he's, just, he, he's broken. I thought my, my Redeemer lives and I thought he was strong and I thought he was powerful. And if you took a, take a look at all the other world religions, uh, their sages that die, they die nobly. They die honorably. And they die, you know, with wise words coming out of their mouth. They don't die uh, weak and vulnerable. But so today, there's more to it than just a broken Jesus. And I'm going to take a look at the cry, the, the my, my God, the my, and then more importantly, the why. So the cry, the cry that Jesus that he gave out. Again, your translation, my translation, it doesn't really convey the emotion that was there. The true translation would be something that's more like he shrieked or he, you know, he, just, he just yelled. There was an intense amount of pain in the cry. And you know, last week I stubbed my toe and it hurt and I cried and uh, I said some things, and then I said, my toe. Right? <laughs> Ow, my toe. Jesus' cry, his emotional expression of pain and grief was, was my Lord, my Lord. It wasn't, what, what's going on with him right now? Like, he's dying on a cross, he is being tortured. He's got, a, he's got a crown of thorns that's been jammed on his head. He's got, he's got his hands been pierced. His feet have been pierced. He's been beaten to a pulp where they can't even recognize who he actually is. Uh, if that was me hanging on the cross, I'd be like, this hurts. Ow, my head, my head, my, my arms, my feet, my body, this hurts. See, Jesus' cry, his grief, his pain, um, the wounds of the cross are minuscule. They're, they're actually, that's not what's inflicting him with pain right now. It's not bringing him the pain. And we all saw the passion. It was bloody. It was brutal. It made you cry. You, it, it evoked emotion. But that is not the emotion that Jesus is expressing when he's crying. 
The reason why he's crying out is because for the very first time in eternity, he is being severed from love, from his loving father. The, the physical pain is minutia. It is, it is a piece of sand on the beach. It is a drop of water in the sea compared to the pain that he feels of the loss of love. That's what's really going on here. When I was in junior high, my fr- I, had a, I had a girlfriend for the very first time. I had a girlfriend, and it was amazing. I never felt so good in my entire life that, that I had found true love. And then, and then three days later, she, she dumped me, and I had never felt so bad in my entire life. I can't go on anymore. I'll never love again. I might as well give up now, right? And then you, you, know, you get older, and you harden your heart, and then you move into other relationships, and you're bitter and stuff. But... Um, <laughs> Do you remember the heartbreak you felt the first time somebody broke your heart? You know, my illustration is silly, but some people are dealing with heartbreak that is really intense. Like you're dealing with a failed marriage, or you just lost a loved one to a disease, or somebody betrayed you that you held in close confidence, and it hurts. Dare I say, it hurts like hell. It hurts your heart. It's like you feel the physical pain. Remember that first time when you felt heartache over a loss or a betrayal? This is the same emotion that Jesus is feeling, but it is a bazillion times more intense than anything that we've ever experienced. There was a perfect communion with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, and there was a love there that was eternal. My love for the junior high girl, that lasted three days. Your marriage might last 30 years, maybe 50 years, but then it's going to be over someday. The, the, the best marriage that the planet has ever seen, I, I don't know, let's say that Romeo and Juliet didn't kill themselves, and they went on, and they lived happily ever after, and their love was true, and their love was, was deep, and no one has ever experienced the love of another person like Romeo and Juliet, it would be nothing compared to the love that God the Father and God the Son shared. Nothing compared to that. Because their love is eternal. When Jesus entered into our time and our space, he broke an eternal love. And for the very first time... uh, the communion, the relationship, that personal relationship between Jesus and the Heavenly Father is done. And that's what's bringing the grief. That's what's bringing the pain. It's not the nails. In fact, when Jesus actually dies, he, again, the translation doesn't communicate well, he yells out his spirit. He's the one that gives up his spirit. And he says it. He says it earlier. He says, I'm going to freely lay down my life. I'm going to sacrifice my life for the ones that I love, for, for us. I'm going to freely do it. This is a really rough way to say it, but I think it communicates that Jesus killed himself for you. The Romans didn't kill him. The Jewish people didn't, the, the, you know, the, the rulers didn't kill him. Pilate didn't kill him. Jesus killed himself for you. The physical pain. 
But what's worse, the severing of his relationship with the Heavenly Father. Why? Why did he have to do this? The ninth hour, or as this translation says, from noon to three o'clock in the afternoon, darkness, complete and utter darkness fell on all of creation is what the word says. If you know your Bible, if you read specifically the Old Testament, you know that whenever God brings a darkness, it's a judgment. It's a judgment for sin. Just think about what happened in, in ancient Egypt with Pharaoh and Moses. God brought the darkness, and there was a price to be paid for the sin of Pharaoh, and it was paid. It was paid in full. But that was, one, that was, that was just Egypt. There was a, a God brought a darkness when Joshua was fighting his enemies. There was a price to be paid. They had to pay, and then the darkness came. So whenever the, the darkness of God comes, there's a judgment to be paid. And what we just read is that this darkness that came upon all of creation, and that means you too, judgment for all of the sins of humanity, the sins of Adolf Hitler and the sin you committed when you got cut off the other day on the freeway, all of them together. They had to go somewhere. And Jesus says, send them on me. I will pay the price for that judgment. So in that moment of time on the cross, all of humanity's sins rested on Jesus himself. And it was, Jesus was, Jesus never sinned. He never messed up. He never had a bad thought. He would never follow lust down a, a, a bad way. He never blew it, ever, completely sinless. Yet he took on all of humanity's sins in one shot. And it was, it was laser beamed onto him in one specific point on the cross. And God couldn't look at it because his beautiful, perfect son now had the ugliest sin on him in the world. And Jesus had to be separated from the Father, and he literally went to hell to continue to preach this gospel message. So that explains the cry. There was, an, a, there was a huge chasm. There was the biggest heartbreak the universe has ever seen, and that is the cry. And Jesus yelled out his spirit of his own free will. No one killed him. He laid down his life willingly. Now, that is the cry. What about the my? My God, my God. Whenever I have an experience like our thespian Zeke and life isn't going too well, I don't pray like that. I pray, God, why? this is God, and I, and I point my finger, right? You're letting me down. You're breaking, you're breaking the contract, God. But see, you see the tone? See, Jesus doesn't have our tone when he prayed. He maintained the intimacy with his Father. My God. My God. Why? 
even though I wouldn't have written it this way, Jesus knew what he was doing. He's actually quoting scripture. He actually, uh, when he utters this, there's a point and there's a purpose to it. I'm going to show you. In Psalms chapter 22, hundreds of years before uh, Jesus was born, there was another king. His name was David. And he liked to journal. He wrote down everything. Every hardship that he ever experienced. When, when his son died, he journaled it in the Psalms. And we get to see his heart when, when he lost his son. Uh, when he blew it, when he sinned big time, he journaled it. He wrote it down in the Psalms. And when he felt alone and God was not by his side, he journaled his, uh, his feelings. When God broke through, when there was great victory, when there was joy, he wrote about it. Listen to what he writes here. Psalms 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. I'm going to skip to verse 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults and they shake their heads. Does that sound familiar? He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Does that sound familiar? If you've read the Gospels, it's almost word for word. Hundreds of years later. Let him deliver him. If he's so powerful, he can take himself off the cross since he delights in himself. Verse 11. Don't be far from me. For trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Have you ever had that experience? Who's going to help me? Verse 12. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey and open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. Does that sound familiar? All my bones are out of joint. Does that sound familiar? Jesus had not have a broken bone in his body. They... Got all pulled out of joint, but my heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. There's Jesus' broken heart. My mouth is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. There we go. They pierce my hands and my feet. Sound familiar? My bones are on display. People share and they stare and they gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garments. It's everything that's happening to Jesus. Here's the interesting thing. This never happened to David. He wrote about everything that happened to him. This didn't happen to him. This describes... An execution, an execution for a convicted criminal. 
And David did a lot of horrible things, but he never faced an execution. How did he know how to write this? The Spirit of the Lord came on him. It was a prophetic vision of what his Savior was going to do for him. David had a New Testament understanding of what was to come. He kind of lived a New Testament lifestyle, even though that he was under an Old Testament covenant. It's, it's, it's amazing, really. So, my God, my God, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that he had to maintain this, this relationship, this personal relationship with the Heavenly Father. But then the major question comes up, why? A few years ago, uh, I don't know, I was trying to, I don't know, witness to somebody or talk or have a faith conversation with somebody. And they asked me, you know what? I don't really understand whole, this whole Jesus thing and dying on the cross for my sins. Why did he have to die on the cross for my sins? I never asked him to. Like, that's a really good point. I don't know if I have an answer. Why? Why have you forsaken me? You know the why? Probably one really great theological reason why you could probably come up with is because Jesus was going to glorify God the Father, right? He went through this whole thing to glorify God. That's what some people will say. But here's the deal. Uh, Jesus was already doing that before he came to the planet. He was sitting at the right hand of the Father, already glorifying God. So why in the world would he come to earth? He, the, the reason why is us. The reason why is you. And I have to say the reason why is me. The reason why a heavenly father would be willing to sacrifice his only son, the reason why an only son would consider us brothers and sisters and be willing to die for us, he did it for me. Don't you repeat that. Whether you believe it or not, Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. That's the why. And he gives up his spirit after this. He yells it up. And whenever we do an Easter service, whenever we talk about the cross, we talk about the death, the resurrection, it's only half of the gospel message. Do you know that? Jesus dying for your sins and dying for my sins so that I could have a relationship with God. The, uh, the cross symbolizes a reconciliation between a fallen world and a holy God, right? We all know this. It's only half of the gospel message. It's only half of the good news. And again, we preach this I've preached it. You've heard it a million times. You've heard it on the radio that Jesus died for your sins. Yet, I know that there's people here, there's people that I know where that, that love for Jesus, it's faded. Uh, Jesus has gotten hazy. We're bored with him for some reason. Yeah, I get it intellectually. I understand that he died for my sins, yet, um, you know what? It just doesn't do it for me anymore. 
It's like, you know, the pretty boy that they have on, you know, the Son of God movie. I, I'm just too used to it now, I guess. Uh, the, the little flannel Jesus that we stick up in Sunday school, it just doesn't do it for me anymore. I just, he's faded, right? He's just not as vibrant as he used to be. And the reason why is because we're only identifying with one half of the gospel, the forgiveness of our sins and the death and resurrection. If we think about, if we think about uh, the major religious holidays that we have, what are they? Nativity. We do a really good job at that, by the way, if, you didn't, if, you're, if, you're, if you're wondering. God entering into our time and space as a baby. Wow, that's amazing. Nativity is, is cool. Uh, good Friday, the day that Jesus actually died and faced sin and death. Took on the darkness completely. And then today, Sunday, Resurrection Day, where he defeated sin and death. There's another holiday that we don't celebrate, and that is Ascension Day. Ascension Day? What's that? I'm making it up. Um, there is no Ascension Day, but it's a big deal. But we, we've lost sight of the Ascension of Jesus. If you, if you go to Vaughn's right now to get yourself an Easter card, uh, 40 days from now, you're not going to be able to find an Ascension card. But it is such a huge deal. It's the other half of the gospel. I believe why Jesus gets so fuzzy and so faded and so blurred out and it doesn't make sense to us anymore is because we're stuck at the cross. That sounds really controversial right now, but it's true. See, when Jesus died on the cross, again, he took all of our sin, all of humanity's sin. And it was crucified with him. But when he did that, he also gave us something in return. He didn't just take our sin, and that was it. He also gave us his righteousness. Jesus lived a perfect life without sin at all. And what the Bible tells us is that when we become followers of Jesus, when we take on his mantle of righteousness, he doesn't see our sin anymore. It's called justification, just as if it never happened. So when you ask God, to, when you ask Jesus to come into your heart, when you ask him for the forgiveness of your sin, your sin is obliterated. It is wiped off of the planet and out of history. He erases the history books. He doesn't see it. You know who sees your sin? You do. We don't have to look at it anymore. We don't have to dwell on it. It doesn't have to be our identity anymore. See, Jesus has given us his righteousness at the cross as well. That perfect life that he lived, you know, that's like this layer. That's this lens that gets laid over us. Jesus, our God thinks that we're, we've lived a perfect life once we stepped into his righteousness. What does that mean? That means there's a, from the empty tomb into a life there is a, myriad, a, a million miracles. For you, life is anything. It's, it, anything is possible. You know, what Jesus said, okay, why did Jesus come? What are the words that came out of his mouth? He says, I have come to give life and to give it to the full. You know what he did say? He said, 
I have come for the forgiveness of your sins and so that you could sit at the cross and think about how bad you were your entire life. He doesn't say that. He said, I have come that you may have life and you might have it to the full. Why is the ascension so important? See, we could, you could build a really beautiful house, right? Just think of the nativity and you think of uh, Good Friday and today, Resurrection Day. You just think of that as, the, you know, as building a beautiful house. But the house is useless if there's nothing that lives inside of it. Think of, uh, we're raffling off a Corvette Stingray to feed orphans right now. If you didn't know that, it's really cool. We'll talk about it next week. It's an awesome car. And I told my dad, it's a good thing I'm not 17, because I'd steal that thing. But it's not licensed. No one has driven it yet. But man, if I was 17, uh, there would be some problems, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, but what good is a, is a high-performance sports car if there's no gasoline and if you, don't, if you just don't hit it? Right? What good is if you, just, if you don't put your foot on the floor on that thing and take it around a corner? It's useless. And that is, look, nativity, Good Friday, Resurrection Day, it, it's a beautiful thing. It doesn't get any more gorgeous than that. But if it wasn't for Ascension Day, there would be no gas in that machine. There would be no transformation of this world. Okay, let me explain to you what Ascension Day is. The Ascension is the day that Jesus left the planet. All right, we're going to read it. All right, this is Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And this is Luke writing. Luke wrote another book called Luke. Um, and he wrote Acts. He wrote them both to this guy. In my, first, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the, the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this commandment, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait, wait for it, wait for it, this is it, this is the key. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John the Baptist baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is the other part of the gospel message. This is empowerment. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? They still don't get it. I mean, they've seen amazing things, and they still don't get it. They think that this resurrected Jesus is still going to depose the Romans. Okay, now we have a Superman. He's resurrected from the dead. Now he's supercharged, right? He's got superpowers. He's going to kill the Romans. They don't get it. Now, how does Jesus respond? This is hilarious. 
He said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. It's kind of putting them in their place. But you... So here's the question is, are you going to restore the kingdom? Jesus says, no, I'm not. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus, is so cool that you're back and that you're like supernatural and that, you know, you've got all these wounds and you walk around and you're still doing miracles. When are you going to take over the world? And he says, I'm not going to do it. You are. They're like, what? Really? And then, then it gets really funny. Okay. <laughs> After he said this, he was taken up right before their very eyes. He actually lifted off the planet. He ascends the ascension. He ascends into the air. Hides behind a cloud. Taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid them, hid him from the, their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing around looking up into the sky? <laughs> this same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way when you have seen him go into heaven. They are, they're like, it's an amazing thing to have Jesus come back, right? And now he's gone. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if you could like have coffee with Jesus and ask him all these really important questions that are on your mind? That would be really great. He could really clear some things up, especially the black and white or the gray issues in our life. All right, what am I supposed to do about this, Jesus? He, he left the planet, and these guys are standing around looking up into the sky. They're, they're, they're like, they're focused on him, which is a great thing to be focused on Jesus, but they're standing around doing nothing, and Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, they bring messengers to teach these guys again what the whole thing is about. Look, you guys are to go. You need to quit standing around looking up into the sky, and you need to go into Jerusalem, your city. You need to go into Judea, your, your county. And you need to go into all of the world. And the authority that God has given me, I am giving you. And you will be my witness. And the words that will come out of your mouth will be the actual words of Jesus. Couldn't that be an amazing thing? That's what he's saying. And so, why is Jesus hazy for you? Why is he fuzzy? Why is he... Why aren't you excited about him as you were the day of uh, the Greg Laurie Harvest Crusade when you walked forward and you received Jesus, or the Billy Graham Crusade when you walked forward and you received Jesus? It was an amazing thing, but now Jesus is fuzzy. Why? It's because we're still stuck at the cross. And our life, that's half of the gospel. Our life wasn't meant to be stuck at the cross. Our life was to, was to be empowered through the Holy Spirit to do the things that Jesus did, to say the words that Jesus said. That's the great commission that we have on our life. And it could be a scary one, but I'm telling you, that it is, it's going to be an empowered life. The ascension is the spark. It, it ignites. It's the thing that brings life and life to the fullest. Jesus said, look, I'm a great guy, right? I do a lot of miracles, 
but it is better for me to leave the planet than to stay here. You, you will grow more when, you, when I give you the comforter, when I give you that counselor, when I give you that life coach, and his name is the Holy Spirit. It's, it's really easy, and it is a truth to say it's all about Jesus, but in a way that's kind of a half-truth. Or technically, it's a third truth. Because it's all about Jesus, it's all about the Holy Spirit, and it's all about God the Father. Sometimes, in order for us to get Jesus really clear in our lives, you need to reconnect with the heavenly loving Father. Maybe you can't do that because your dad was not loving. That's your, that's your work. You have, to, you have to connect with the heavenly loving Father in order to get a clear vision of Jesus. I'll tell you my experience. Um, I love Jesus. And I can't say that he was getting fuzzy, but I was being led to focus my studies and my, dis- my disciplines on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit kind of, he's like the redheaded stepchild of the Trinity, right? We never talk about him. We never preach about what he does. But it's so key and it's so vital to live an ascended, powered life. I think if we did, we would have ascension cards, Maybe I should make an ascension card or an ascension button. Would you like that? All right. So I began to study how the Holy Spirit works, who He is, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And um, I can't, it's, it's, it's very difficult for me to say that Jesus was put on the back burner, but I'm going to tell you what happened. One night, and I can't tell you if it was a dream or if it was a vision but I had an experience with Jesus. It's as if he walked into my room, and that's, I mean, it's possible, but I don't think Jesus literally walked into my room uh, because he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he is in one body. But I had this, this vision of Jesus in my presence, and he was all white. He was, and the Bible describes it this way too, made of lightning. And he's pulsating. Boom, 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 boom. It's like a big pulsating light. Extremely powerful. He wasn't that pretty boy, uh, son of God guy that's on the movies right now. He wasn't that. He was so powerful, so intense. Fear and joy entered in, and I, and I couldn't explain it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember him. I remember him. Is Jesus fuzzy and hazy to you? Is he not intense? Is he not powerful? You might be spending too much time on your sin. You might be spending too much time on the cross. You might not be connecting with the Heavenly Father that you want me to be doing. You might not be connecting with the Holy Spirit to be empowered by the Spirit. That might be the issue. And you might be thinking to yourself, Josh, you're really pushing it, right? It's biblical. You know what I learned uh, just this week? I had a, a this, was, this wasn't a revelation. This was just understanding the scripture. But you remember, this happens in the Gospel of John. This is only in the Gospel of John. When the, the women encountered Jesus, they were the first ones to see the resurrected Jesus. Kind of a big deal because women really didn't have a big say-so in that culture in that day. So it was like no one believed them, yet Jesus chose them 
as the first revelation of his resurrection. And then Mary Magdalene was very close to Jesus. Jesus healed her of seven evil spirits. And so she had a really intimate connection with Jesus, and she loved him deeply. And right after Jesus comes out of the tomb and he, he reveals himself to her in the garden, at one point she thinks that he's a gardener or whatever, but then he, she realizes who he is, and she falls on her feet and she grabs Jesus' feet. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, don't, don't clasp on to me. I have not yet ascended. That's exactly what he says. I haven't ascended yet. Don't grasp on to me. And so for a long time, I thought, okay, well, Jesus just rose from the dead, and so he must have some weird superpowers. And so if Mary Magdalene grabs onto Jesus, she's going to get zapped and die because it's like he hasn't fully been beamed down from the Starship Enterprise yet, right? That's, do you, do you, am I the only one that thinks that? It's not true. Because immediately he, you have Thomas sticking his fingers in his hands because he's a doubting Thomas in his side. We have, he's eating, he's engaging on a physical level. What Jesus is telling Mary Magdalene, he says, look, you've you got to let go of me. That's, <laughs> I know, I just said that, right? You've got to let go. Because if you can't let go of what I did on the cross, if you can't quit focusing on your sin, I can't do what I'm supposed to do, which is to leave the planet and so that you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, when that happens, I can be with you no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, no matter how alone you feel, I can be with you and I can be with your sister, and I can be with, uh, with all the disciples. I can be with all these people at Granite Creek. So you've got to let go, and you've got to let the Holy Spirit do its work. You have to let me ascend, because the power comes in the ascension when I leave the planet, because it's better that I do, so that you can be empowered. That's the second half of the gospel. The first half of the gospel is Jesus took on our sins. We have, he paid the ultimate price for our sins. We were convicted criminals and he stepped into our place and died for us. Didn't have to do it. That's one half of the gospel. The other half is this, this idea of ascension. It is, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full and that you will never, ever be alone because I am always with you, because you have the Holy Spirit that is indwelt in your hearts. And you have power. You have power to overcome the world. You have power to speak the things that I have spoken. And you have power to do the things that I have done. And he even takes it a step further. You will do greater things than I did. How would you like to do greater things than Jesus? It's in the Bible. He said it. All right, I have a little video I want you to watch. I don't really know how. Uh, what would be the word for uh, 
terrified and excited. Do you know? Huh. Well, all I know is we were both of those things that morning. And that I ran faster than Sandals ought to be able to carry you. We had to tell everybody else what happened. After Jesus was crucified, it was all over. I mean, were we wrong about him? We had to have been. Jesus was dead, so we hid. Hid in fear. That morning, a, a small group of us women went to uh, prepare his body with spices and ointments. I mean, it, it was the very least that we could do, you know? Even though none of this made any sense, for three days, that was the longest three days of my life. We were so afraid. My head was racing faster than my feet. We bolted from that tomb. <laughs> None of the other disciples were going to believe when we tried to explain. I mean, a massive sealed tombstone moved. Those Roman soldiers silenced. <sighs> Blinding angels, unnecessary grave clothes, now lay folded neatly inside a empty tomb as if they had some sort of secret to tell. <laughs> well, a picture's worth a thousand words in an empty tomb. It's worth a thousand promises. <sighs> Do you see what this means? We were waiting for the Messiah to come and restore Israel. Jesus exceeded all our expectations. I mean, he was the Messiah that nobody could contain. So we were hoping too small. This means that everything that has been taken, God can restore. If there is a way to be made, is through him. If there is hope in this world, his name is Jesus the Christ. Oh, he lives. He lives, the Messiah. Our Messiah, my, my Messiah. <laughs> yes, Jesus. Uh, He's alive. And the secret's out. <laughs> it's out. Glory. 
if I have the band and the ushers come to the front. And as they're on their way up, he is alive. That is a, that is a truth. It's the other half of the gospel. Because he's alive, because he ascended, you are empowered. You are empowered. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to be frustrated. Uh, you don't have to give up. There's, a, there's an answer. His name is Jesus. That's the answer. If you seek the Holy Spirit, if you seek God the Father, He's going to be so much more clear, so much more real, so much more approachable, so much more powerful. Anything that you're facing can be overcome. Anything. That's what the empty tomb means. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You that You sent Your only Son to die for our sins. And Father, we thank you that you sent Holy Spirit to help us to lead an empowered life. You are so good. Everything about you is good. Everything you do is good. And we thank you we thank you for this new life. We thank you for the life to come. We thank you that you have called us sons and daughters and brothers and sisters, that you've included us into this holy family. You entrusted us with the world. And we as good stewards will do our very best to wrestle it back from the evil one. We love you. Amen.